All right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, pretty excited today to have a guest uh, that I'll let her introduce herself. But we've had great conversations in LinkedIn. We've had uh, great conversations. I think it was earlier this week where her and I chatted, talked about crypto, Web3, design, and so on. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm Kate. I'm a product designer. I'm head of design at Materium where we are um, building asset passports for real world assets. So in the tokenization space, and I'm also a design coach. So I work with design managers and ICs to unblock them in their careers and help them to find their design voices. I And I like that. We'll touch back on that token aspect of things because a lot of people are like, well, what is, what is even that? But can you, before we get there, can you walk us through like what has been your career? Like, how did you get into design? How'd you get all the way from a designer to what you're actually doing right now? Yeah, sure. So I started uh, 13 years ago. Um, I was doing a graphic design and media degree <laughs> because there was no such thing as, um, you know, UX or um, as I started to become a professional, interaction design was was the thing. Um, but I was at, at art school and I was playing with electronics and sensors. And I was really interested about how I could make the participant in an art piece do something. And I was really curious to watch their reaction. So, for instance, my final, you know, end of year show piece was hanging hair dryers and weird electronics with motion sensors. And when a viewer would come close, they would turn on and they would start doing this crazy motion. And I just loved sitting there with you know, popcorn, watching what they would do. And my tutor at the time said, yeah, that sounds quite like art. Yeah, but it also sounds quite like psychology. And when you add psychology and art, you can go into wayfinding. I was like, okay, what's that? And they started introducing me to, you know, signage that goes around car parks and hospitals and um, poster design and kind of functional design that needs you to really understand human behavior. So I kind of went in that route, um, dragging my heels a bit because I was like, I want to be an artist. And I started to fall in love with human computer interaction. And then my first few jobs were all in um, making websites and apps. Mm. So then eight years later, after consulting, never got a full-time job, I actually got my first job. Um, after having just thrown myself into contracting. It's interesting because it, it like you, similar to me, I started in, you know, graphic design as they used to call it, like print. And then the craft evolved into websites, which then turned into UX. And then you kind of learn and you kind of went to, you know, other additional classes and so on. So I, the thing I like about the design space, design being like the big umbrella of everything is that people are able to pivot inside it. Some like went to graphic design, stayed true through the craft. Even to this day, they do a lot of print. They do a lot of the stuff. Others like you and I transitioned into more UX and more like that psychological aspect of things and, you know, transition into web three and all this. So I love the fact that the, the career is so wide. Like you learn something in school, but then you realize once you're in the field that it's the career path is so wide and to each their own. Mm. And I, I hear that repeated pattern with people that are really in touch with their curiosity. Yeah. Because when you're navigating through curiosity, 
you do go through some weird off-road places, right? <laughs> that don't seem logical, but actually add amazing rich and depth. But people that are less curious will tend to stay on the straight and narrow and have what they call a linear path. And that's not good or bad. It's just a personality trait. It is. And I, I really uh, appreciate that you touched on that because I think it's something that, you know, I try to explain to other people when I either mentor or have conversations and the more it, it's not about like a straight path. Some do have a straight path. Others do like they go sideways, up, down, et cetera. I, I kind of see it as we're built, we're adding tools to our toolkit. And the more tools mm -hmm. you can have in your toolkit, the better equipped you are for any potential new situation that may come up. And that's why I kind of see how you've explained it from my point of view in like, mm -hmm. what do you think of seeing it in terms of a toolkit, et cetera? Mm, I love that. Yeah. Because then the focus is not on where you're going uh, and the destination, but actually the intention that you're holding along the way to have it well and to, to, to enjoy the journey well and to have a better quality of journey. Um, you know, are you going to go and just trot in the rain because you didn't bring your, you know, wet clothing or you've got your tent, you've got your pro camper, you know, you've got everything set up because you're prepared and you're experienced. So I love that metaphor because it, if you are an, at, at an advantage mm -hmm. uh, when you're able to bring huge variety and diversity and hybridity thinking to your work. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, it's cool. And I like the wetsuit analogy. I've never actually thought of it in that <laughs> way, but it's, it's a fantastic point of view. And it, it kind of takes me to like a second part of it. I find, and you correct me if I'm wrong, and it's, it's a question I'll have for you, but it feels like the more experience you have, the more uh, career opportunities you've taken within this space, the less you get attached to the title that comes to it. Like I see a lot of people, no, I'm a senior staff designer. No, I'm a senior, senior super designer. But at the end of the day, you're still a designer. But like, mm. do you agree that the more, or what's your perception on on titles and and having experience in the field for a while and shifting and pivoting? Are you still as attached to the title as you used to be? Yeah, I think when we have a feeling like an attachment to a title, I don't think we should judge it. Of course not. I think that it just creates we need to be aware that it's coming from a need, right? Mm. We're, we're multidimensional people. We're not, we're multifaceted. We're not, not just one thing, we're many things. And we don't just have one need, we have many needs. And that's why sometimes you find yourself in conflict even within yourself, right? Because the different parts of you have different needs. You know, on one hand I want this and the one hand I want that, you know, and that's normal and human. So I think What's important is when you feel the attachment coming to a title, oh, I really want to be known and seen like this. Then you just have to kind of calm that side of you down and say, okay, well, that's important. Yeah. You don't feel seen, you don't feel valued, and you don't feel respected. We need to fix that. Are there other ways that we could allow you to feel seen, heard, and respected beyond a title. Because a title is just like the cheapest way possible. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. no cost. It's a couple of words, right? That's why people give out vice president and executive and all of this stuff to people because it makes them feel good and the company doesn't have to pay any dollar for it. So I would think, is there a more meaningful way that I can get respect, feel seen, and recognition um, that might meet that need as well? love the way you've approached it and you've you've kind of a, a touched on the exact thing i wanted to say 
without being specific to the career, because the way you framed it applies to all of our lives. And like that, it's almost like that spiritual aspect of it where the ego and, and like the, your soul aspect of it, like where do they align and meet in the middle? And I, I think it's a great analogy. And I actually, I, you know, I'm a very spiritual person, but I've never actually thought of, you know, my title in that frame. And thank you for just opening up that thing. And I think it, the listeners are going to appreciate that aspect of how you frame them because I couldn't agree more. It's, uh, As an example, like for instance, right now, I know that in my career, I have done the roles of head of design. I've mm -hmm. done that role, but I didn't get the title then. And at that time, I felt unrecognized. Mm -hmm. And so now that I've got the title, my title actually means quite a lot to me. I'm like, yeah, I got it now, you know, tick box. But as soon as I got it, I didn't care because, you know, the, the parrot was fed. Yeah. The bunny is fed. I, I got what I needed. <laughs> I don't need that anymore. You, I can let it go tomorrow because it's an emotional journey. We're not just robots. You know, mm. we, we, we have all of these needs. And, and I think the journey of our career, and that's what's beautiful about it, fills all of those needs. And in fact, mm. that's another, another lens to, to, to see it as, as a way to, to heal yourself to wholeness, you know, through ever, whatever you're doing, but maybe that's another podcast. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I think that there's so many things to unpack in there and I'd love to take there, but I agree. I think that's a totally different podcast, yeah. but yeah, thanks for, for talking about this. It's something that that's how I live my life, the way you've framed it and explained it. And I, like, I could not agree more, but if we shift a bit now, you've, mm -hmm talked about like the tokenization of an element of things like in your, can you explain your company, what you do to mm. people that are not in web three or, you know, web three or crypto or, or that space, because to some, it still feels like it's far, far away land. But today, like there's a lot of things that are transitioning into NFTs, the web three and like the tokenizations of things. Can you help simplify in a way what your company does? Yeah, sure. So when we think about the kind of tokenization space at large, we can just think about the parallel of digitization. So, you know, library books all started getting scanned and then you could read them online. Instead of buying a physical book, you could also buy a Kindle. Um, you don't have no books around. We still, I have loads of books. We still use books. <laughs> But if we want to make those books machine readable and to absorb lots of information very efficiently, then we have to make them digitized, right? We have to scan them. So it's the same in Web3. If we want to take where we are now in the world, of, and we just call that Web2, and we want to move it into a better future, a better world, we need to increase the efficiency. We need to make information easier and fairer and more inclusive. So. That's what, for me, Web3 is all about. It's about a collaborative, fairer, more transparent, more honest future. And if we want to go there, then there's loads of stuff stuck, loads of information stuck in Web2 that just you can't get up, you can't get access to because it's hidden. It's not transparent. It's hard to get to. And it's um, very difficult to move around and to trade. And it's very unfair because most of it's based on geography. So you think about everything being in the cloud and everything being digitized, but actually geography plays a huge role because where is all of that data? It's stored on servers. And where are those physical servers? 
they're stored in countries. And where are those countries? They are divided, divided by law, divided by time and space. Mm -hmm. So we think of ourselves as globally interconnected in Web2, which we are to a certain extent. But if we want to take that and become fairer, to become more transparent, to become more us, we're going to need another layer of technology. Mm -hmm. What is that layer of technology? Ding! I introduced you, blockchain. <laughs> that is the way to increase and lever up whoop, 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 to the next level of efficiency. Does that kind of make sense? It's a great question. And and do you like do you think that the, you know blockchain is hard to explain to a lot of people? Like you've explained it in a very simple way. But would you agree that blockchain also adds an extra level of security to anything you're doing? This like compared to you know, web two or, or whatever that could be, I kind of feel that uh, the blockchain and web three, it adds that extra layer, which is you are you and you're responsible for, for things, your security, et cetera. I'd like that aspect of that potentially could be, mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts on, on that extra layer Absolutely. of security? Absolutely. I think that we've yet to see that right now in the mainstream because it feels emotionally and we're emotional beings. It feels unsafe, but Concretely, blockchain technology, empirically fact, yes, mm -hmm. is purer than the, the other payment rails that we're using right now. If they are uh, done in a way that is decentralized, mm -hmm. if they are using the old frameworks just with new technology, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. <laughs> so that you know, you're going you're gonna to get some of the same kind of fraud and problems that you're having in the old system. But if you really move to a new system that is genuinely decentralized, yeah, it's much more secure. And that's exciting. And that leads into the fairer, more transparent, more cooperative, collaborative world. Agreed. And how do you take, like, from your experience and what you've done with your company, which, you know, you guys have done really well and, and doing, how do you design for this space? Like, what's the mindset mm -hmm. shift that you would have done, you know, going from print design to graphic design to all your career? How do you design for this world? Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to hold that. Remind me of that. I will come back. I'll tell you a little bit about what Materium does and then I'll, I'll come to that. Fantastic. The key word is trees, by the way. <laughs> so what, what, what is tokenization? In that effort to become more um, efficient, I cannot um, address this object in the real world unless I give it a unique ID. It needs mm -hmm. to be identifiable. And it needs to be identifiable separate from another glass that I have that looks exactly the same. It smells the same. It even weighs the same. How do mm -hmm. I know it's different? Yeah. So object addressability is something that's really important. We are living in a world full cool. of stuff. Mm -hmm. So much stuff everywhere. And so if we want to be more efficient and we want to give things to people who need them and get rid of them for things who don't need them, yeah. then we're basically reinventing the the next generation of bookkeeping. So, you know, back in the day, the Egyptians came up with bookkeeping and the notation and a way to innovate accounting. We're doing that for physical things. Mm. So when you tokenize something, it just means that you make, you turn it into a digital twin. You make a digital version, a, a digital version that you can reference that stays with the life of the object. 
So when I give this to you, you also get the digital twin and then you sell it to Sally and she also gets the digital twin and Sally sends it to Bob and so forth. And that means that all the information, all the supply chain, the ingredients, where it's come from, whether it was taken a picture with a celebrity, <laughs> you know, everything about this can be maintained and kept. The repair, the provenance, but most importantly, the truth the actual reality. And that's different about what we're doing. So now lots of people are making digital passports. Lots of people are in tokenization and digital twins for physical things. That rhymes. But Materium is the only company building a multi-party digital certificate system that is actually legally binding and gives legal assurances to the buyers and sellers of those objects. And one more thing, in the world of NFT, people are putting information inside this token and they're putting it on the blockchain and they're saying, look, it's transparent. That's good. That is good, but even better is to make sure that the information going into that transparent vase is actually accurate. Mm -hmm. And that's where Materium comes in. We use an army of certifiers who are experts at what they do and they put their money where their mouth is. And they say, I legally warranty that this is true. And if it's not, I'm accountable. I'm liable and I will give you your money back. And that's the, you know, the fairer future we were thinking of in Web3, accountability. Mm -hmm. Take responsibility for your actions. Don't just talk. you got to walk the walk. So I'll pause there. I, I, I actually love this because you're probably the person that has simplified this to the T. Like it's your, to my opinion, like everybody I've chatted with, they all have their like description of what this is, but the glass analogy and all that, and like bookkeeping, fantastic. It feels like mom and pop can relate or understand to this aspect of it. So I really appreciate that. And to how does like your company able to guarantee like that tokenization, like that, that's the social truth. What are, what yeah. are the steps that, because like a lot of people go into web three and say, yep, that's the truth. It, it, you know, they says, how can one, you know, it, it, people don't understand the space. So how, how can they have confidence in what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant question. So today we tend to rely a lot on brand recognition and brand loyalty. So for instance, um, what's a really well-loved brand? Patagonia. We think of that as a altruistic planet saving, you know, really trustworthy brand. And so if they were to do something and they were to say, hey, this is true, I would probably believe them, you know? Mm -hmm. But as we scale out our abilities into going towards this better future, we have to understand human nature. Humans make mistakes. It's not always fraud. There is a lot of fraud, <laughs> but it's not always fraud. Just humans make mistakes. And so, you know, the whole Web3 philosophy comes back down to this idea of trustless. Mm -hmm. We don't need to be interacting with each other in a environment that requires us to trust each other. It's just not needed. We can build a trustless environment. It sounds negative. You're like, trustless? You know, back in my day, I just shook someone's hand and that was a man's word or something, you know. But we're not living in that time. We're living in a multidimensional, global, interconnected, very large scale world. And if we want to get the benefits of that, and we want everybody to be fair and treated equally in that, then we need to find a way 
to scale that way of thinking. And it's called trustless. And so in order for it to be trustless, it has to cost something mm -hmm. to put forward that information. So this comes down to economics. It's very interesting because it comes back to, to trust. You know, that's, that's a big issue. And I think going back to like my tree question that you're going to help answer, that's something that I find difficult is designing for this space with trust. A lot of people, like the younger generations that, you know, bought Bitcoin five years ago, they're totally on board. They understand the wallet thing and like all this space. But for this to go mainstream means we need to go to mom and pops and everybody to start to adopt it. How do you think designing for this space is different with everything that you've just explained brilliantly? How do you design for this space compared to how we used to design for log it into a website? Those are two totally yeah. different things. Yeah, I think well, let's start with the high level and we can maybe go into some examples. But the biggest shift in my experience, and just, you know, pinch of salt, who am I? My personal experience is shifting from I to we, mm -hmm. shifting from our company to our industry, because there is no one company that is going to solve Web3. This is a multifaceted, multidimensional, global thing that we need to do together. And therefore, just as the world is coming together to try and solve the global warming problem and the climate crisis, we too have to come together to solve Web3. We have to get out of this destructive mentality of, I want to be the shiny savior. I want to be the one unicorn that comes yeah. in, shows everybody how it's done. We're not in that industry anymore. We're in a, okay, this is big. Let's be humble and let's listen to each other. And let's come together and solve this because nobody can do it alone and we all need mm. each other. So it's a bit like we're all trapped in an escape room and we have to get out together. <laughs> I like that because it, it, it's not just about the company coming together to help solve this problem. It's about the users as well coming together and accepting that this is the future. But we, in order to get there, we must work together. And ideas and sharing and utility, et cetera. I like that aspect because like before when it was Web3 or like in prior days, yeah, that unicorn startup that just came up and just, whew, that's the new way of doing things. Like think of Uber, like they, they disrupted the market totally. Now, like the entire Web3 is a disruptive market. But in order to yeah. us to achieve this, we must work together collectively as the greater good of humanity to get to where we want to go and get to a simplified way of doing it, a more secured way to doing it, a sovereignty way of doing it. Like there's a lot of extremely positive things that are, are going to happen if we work collectively towards it. And, you know, to come into your point, I wonder how many, well, everybody in crypto that I've chatted with all, like a lot agree that we need to like companies need to work together, but I wonder how many companies actually stand behind that versus how many companies actually know I'm going to solve this and no, I'm not sharing anything. It's like, this is me. I want to be that unicorn. I wonder how many have, you know, the opposite conversations. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And that comes back to our, our first conversation actually about awareness, because yeah. a lot of companies 
like a little two-year-old going, they've got this new toy and they're like, I want to play with this new toy, mommy, daddy. And then the other kids are like, yeah, we want to play with it too. And they're like, no, it's mine. (laughs) And there's just no self-awareness. Now, when they get a bit older, they are aware. And they're like, oh, oh, I've spent 10 minutes with it. I better give it to my my sibling. You know, they're aware. Mm-hmm. And so companies, I can see them. They're just not aware. They're mm-hmm. like raving on about how great they are. And then we're patiently, and this is, I say we because Materium is very aware. We're patiently just sitting there being like, come on, wait for them to grow up. Oh, my God. Come on. Wait up there here. Okay. So should we work together now? <laughs> and that sounds a bit patronizing. The reason it sounds patronizing is because the company has been in the space since 2017. So it, <laughs> it has been waiting a long time. And, you know, they j- jokingly refer to themselves often as the grown-ups in the room. Because we've seen the fads come and go, come and go, come and go. And we've seen clients reject us and then come back to us and be like, yeah, we really should have come back with you. We're so sorry. We, we just went with these other guys and it was it was full of fraud. And, it, and we're like, we know, it's okay. And we're like, we'll look after you, you know? <laughs> so there is an element of maturity that we're talking about here. That's, it's so cool that, you know, we're thinking in the, those terms because it feels like before we used to design solutions and not think of anything else. Now it feels like we're designing solutions to improve the world, to improve where humans are going, which that's a totally different mindset. And it feels mm-hmm. like in even designing in this space or working in this space, you got to be passionate about what we're doing. Now you could yeah. be passionate about branding, but like in, if you work on the other side, which is fantastic, but it feels like branding in this space is different. Like it's a different mindset. It's different attitude because you're changing the world. So it feel, it's not that you have more pressure on yourself. It's just, it's a different level. And you could tell when you talk, and I'm not saying designers on each side are better or worse, but it's just, it's a different mentality. I personally yeah. think to be working in this space because you need to have that mindset, that vision to be able to think and be passionate about it. Because let's face it, there's our ups and downs in this, in the space. And you're constantly challenging status quo and it's like, well, you're constantly having to re-explain everything you're doing because normal people probably don't understand what all this space is about and how even security comes into play. Absolutely. And I think that's another side note, you know, industry talk. I think that's why service design is becoming trendy again because of Web3. So people are realizing how complex stuff is and your average designer, product designer does know all that stuff, but they're just a bit out of practice because they're so used to their scope being like this, just these user flows rather than, and these touch points and these touch points and these actors mm-hmm. and these props and process, you know, where service designers, they're like, this is like child's play. Yeah. This, I'm used to all of this complexity and levels, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I'm really excited to see more and more service designers coming into, yes. into Web3 because that's the kind of holistic thinking that we need. Um, and that brings me on to trees. So when I was at, um, Facebook meta, I ended up, I had a fantastic experience and, and learned loads, but I also realized how little I knew myself. I didn't Mm. know myself. I was just following along and I actually burnt out because again, when you're not aware, you just go along with things and Mm -hmm. you don't know burning out. So I burnt out. Luckily, I have a wonderful husband who is a, a woodworker and a very beautiful human. 
And he took me under his wing and taught me woodworking and sanding and oiling. He taught me about trees and about mycelium. And we used to go out into the woods and he'd pick a tree and then he'd start telling me about it. Um, he, he would sometimes just tell me from his knowledge. Sometimes he'd take a book with him, prepared earlier, pull out the book and start reading to me about plants. And I loved this. And we'd sit by the fire and we'd look up at the stars and we'd just like in nature, you know? And when we were having one of these conversations and I was doing the thing where you you move seats to try and avoid the smoke, and he's like, oh my God, smoke's following me everywhere around this campfire. And it suddenly hit me. I want to work in a business like those trees. I love the way that when that tree was struggling for light, the other one like bent to the side in order to give it space. Mm -hmm. And I love how the mycelium over here sent some antibodies to the trees over there to make sure that they had the antidote so that this, the, the virus didn't spread through the whole forest. I love this cooperation. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. Why don't organizations work like that? And this is what started getting me into Web3 because I was like, wow, DAOs are cool. There are other ways of working together. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying any of that's perfect, but this way of wanting to be cooperative and believing that human nature really is cooperative, we just need a better system in place because capitalism isn't working. Mm -hmm. That's actually what led me and drew me to Materium. And that's when I found a whole load of kindred spirits that also had that mindset of cooperation. Um, that that was the original answer of you. No, questions. but it, it, it's perfect because you, you, I couldn't agree more where nature is perfect. Like it perfectly works together. If we don't, if humans don't touch it, it's, it's perfect as it is. And the way you've explained it is, you know, when you get into Web3, I, you do find these people that think exactly like you. And you're like, whoa, where have these people been all my life? <laughs> In a way, it's like, it's, it's interesting that, you know, the way you went from trees to working with Web3, like I personally, I can see that connection. And, and I appreciate that aspect and it resonates a lot. And I wonder... And, it, and again, I go back to it's not saying because you work in traditional that it's any bad or worse, but I, I do agree that, you know, the force analogy is, is a very strong one. And like staying within these realms, you also do a lot of coaching and, and everything on the side that you've talked about, you know, when you're, you introed. Can you talk and elaborate a bit more on what you do from that aspect? Mm. Yeah, I think um, starting at the, the the global scale again, one of the the brilliant things about cultures being able to see each other on the internet is that they start to share ideas and and understand there are different ways of believing, singing, dancing, moving, storing food, cooking. The downside is that there tends to be a little bit of kind of normalization, standardization. Mm. It all becomes a little bit the same for a bit. And there's benefits to that too, because it means that in terms of UX, we can all have more predictable web interfaces because there's less deviation and less unpredictability. That's good for usability, for instance. But the downside is that sometimes it sacrifices at the cost of individual expression or uniqueness or surprise or novelty or innovation. and I'm starting to see that as well in 
the design industry. So moving in just the design, when we look at people's portfolios and we look at their opinions and we look at the way that they talk about design, it's getting all a little bit copycatty. And you're like, you read it, something over here and you read a medium and then a YouTube and you're like, oh, it's all two the same. I want some diversity. I want some, you know, let's have some arguments about genuinely oppositional perspectives, you know, because that's where creativity thrives. That's where quality thinking happens mm-hmm. and where sparks fly. And so when I look at the industry and I became a bit jaded right back when I was burnt out, I was like, oh, it's all too the same. There's this little voice inside me that was like, all right, what are you going to do about it? Huh? And I was like, oh, don't like that question. Why are you putting it on me? Can't I just moan about it? Do I have to do something? Can't I just poke holes? Okay. <laughs> like, stayed with me. What are you going to do about it? I thought, oh, okay, well, I bet I guess I put my research hat on, put my ob- observing hat on. I'm a product designer. Yeah. So I started observing. And after lots of interviews and affinity mapping and <laughs> analysis, and became very present to the fact that designers are really scared of being wrong yeah. and of being outcast and of not fitting in and not being accepted. And so this led me in, into coaching because I was trying to understand, well, how can we empower people to feel really comfortable in their own skin? And really embrace their difference of voice and embrace their who they are and get out of this cycle of shame and fear and go into this limitlessness, spacious expansiveness, because that's where really hot design is going to come from. You know, that's where the next level of innovation is. And sadly, a lot of the leaders that we see in design, let's just take a cliche, Steve Jobs, who had that in bowlfuls, right? He had that attribute. He was also known for not being a very nice guy. This is not about Steve Jobs. I'm just talking about role models. We perceive them. And that's, that skill set of being assertive in your space is often coupled with, with some other things that people don't want to be like. So coaching was a way to decouple those two things and say, you can be humble, you can be calm, you can be kind and warm, you can be introverted, and you can have some different things to say. You don't have to be both. And that's what got me excited about moving into coaching. I love what you just said, and I can't agree more. A lot of, even if you're like on, on Twitter design, everybody wants to agree with like the big name. They don't want to have an argument with them because I'm going to get called out and it means like all of his followers are going to be against me. I think that's wrong. Like we need to get into a mindset of you have an opinion, I have mine. Obviously user testing from a product design perspective is key to validate an assumptions. It's healthy to have a different point of view. It's healthy to have a different opinion. If we don't, like you talked about Steve Jobs. If he did not challenge what he did, pro- like computers wouldn't be where they are. Yes, mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about his personality or like we've seen movies, we've seen the books, but if we don't challenge these things or assumptions, we're not making an impact. We're not challenging the status quo because we're all agreeing with status quo saying, well, no, that's it. That's how it is. We can't, we're not going to change it. Mm-hmm. But unless we do, we're not making improvements. And unfortunately, I, feel, I agree. And it's, it's, it's not something we learn. We learn about like 
doing design critiques, you know, in design school, or we do all do them at work. How many people actually speak up to say this is wrong? People are just saying, no, no, we, we, everybody just seems to get along, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate because we came in this design world to make a, a, an impact, improve design through the craft and, you know, improve products, et cetera. We can't just, we need to think in like market disruptors. We need to think that, you know, if Uber didn't challenge the taxi companies, we wouldn't be where we are. Airbnb, mm-hmm. if they didn't challenge anything, we wouldn't be where we are. So mm-hmm. I, I agree where a lot of people just seem to agree for the sake of agreeing and not being called out because they want to be part of the game. They want to be part of that unique niche in Twitter where everybody's friends and everybody comments, great job, you're fantastic designs. But in fact, when the design's actually not good, but everybody seems to agree with it because a big name agreed to it. So they're, they're afraid to speaking their minds and saying, no, that design's actually not good for X, Y, Z reasons. So I, I agree with what you've said, I just wanted to add that comment, but how do you teach that? Like, how do you, in, in your educational classes with, cause you obviously talk with people that have a lot of experience that have been mm-hmm. in the field for a long time. How do you go and plant that seed in their head? How do you go and ch- so that they're able to counter argue? What, what, like, mm-hmm. what do you do for that? How do you help them that, get there? The short answer <laughs> is by getting really comfortable with what I am thinking and feeling. I can identify it. I can articulate it. And I feel total conviction with it. And I can share it because I know my worth and I love myself. Mm. That's a lot to take in. (laughs) The longer answer is when we think about human-centered design, human is the operative word here. Mm-hmm. And we don't spend enough time studying humans. Mm-hmm. And if you're a doctor, you have to spend years studying the whole body. Even if you're a dentist, you have to spend years just on the throat. And psychologists the same. Designers sometimes think, not all, but a lot of them, they think they can just skip that bit. And we need to get really good understanding how humans think and how they feel and you need to get really good at emotion (laughs) because the one thing that tech lacks right now is emotion it's all data driven it's all intellect it's all cerebral (laughs) and that's fun and that's pleasurable and i have a cerebral mind too i love concepts i love racehorse thinking but at the end of the day that brain of mine is in a human body And bodies experience sensations. And sensations are the way, the body's way of experiencing emotion. We can't get away from that. And there's a lot of thinky people that don't want to talk about emotion. They're like, shh, 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 shh. But that's part of who we are. So if you're a human-centered designer, you need to up-level your human game. You need to up-level your skills and understanding of how humans work. Mm -hmm. And the work starts with yourself. So the number of people that I've met that don't even know how to name what they're feeling, the first thing I do, let's get concrete, is I say, I want you to say a sentence where you tell me how you feel and you go to feelingswheel.com, feelingswheel.com. I want you to pick an emotion that you're feeling. Guess how long it takes the average person, designer, to pick an emotion? 
I don't know, 40 seconds? Mm-mm. More? An excruciating one to two minutes. Wow. But why? Because they're, they're afraid of picking the wrong one? We are severed. Wow. We are disconnected from our bodies. We are these floating cerebral heads that have no idea we're actually connected to this. And we're so disconnected, we can't even say what we're feeling. Now, if you've ever been on feelingsworld.com, you see the first is happy, sad, angry, you know, really simple ones. Yeah. People can get there. But when there's any level of specificity, it's really a struggle. And I'm not saying this to bring any kind of shame or judgment. This is not about judging. This is about really taking it in, about where we're at as a human species. Now, do you want people with high level of emotional intelligence designing the tech products of the whole world? Or do you want people with low level of intelligence, emotional intelligence? I think we want the high intelligence, right? And, and it's interesting because a lot of people say human-centered design because it's like it's it's a it's the phrase, right? It came out, it, it's that phrase, it's putting the human at the center of everything we're designing. Yet a lot of people, they forget that they themselves are not the user. Like they're going to design, they're going to get so attached to the pixels that they design and not the solutions they're trying to design for because they also mm -hmm. use a product. So if they use a product, by all means, they're the God of all mighty users and they think that, but that's not the case. And so with that being said, how do you help somebody realize through your learnings and from your own personal experiences, how do you get them out of that mindset? Or help them realize they're even like within that mindset. Awareness, slowing down the thoughts. We go, and I will slow them down. And I will write down every single sentence to be right together on a fig jam. They say, I say, pause, hold that thought. I'm going to write that down. Okay. Yeah. My question to you is, where's that coming from? Whose voice is that? Who's saying that? They say, oh, I don't know. No, think harder. Where is that voice coming? Is it your fear or someone else's fear? Is it your dad's fear? Is it your friend's fear? Whose fear is this? Where is it coming from? So there's a lot of behavioral psychology that, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but there's a lot of um, really just, we have thousands of thoughts every minute and we skip some. And so the best way to become aware of what you're thinking and what your blockers are is just to slow it down and to write. And that's why reflective practice is just a godsend. It's, 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 it's the number one thing that every designer should start doing in their day right now is just writing down their thoughts and then rereading them. You'll be amazed the amount of insights you get just from doing that alone. It, it, what, and it's nice because I, I kind of see it in the way that we're, you're talking a lot about mindfulness to some degree. It's like living in the present and being in your own body at oh. that moment in time. So I, I kind of see a connection of the more, you know, aligned we are spiritually or not, but the more aligned we are with our own selves, our own bodies, et cetera, the more we're going to be able to embrace and or respond to that thing versus being like the ego that responds or everything else, like the, the pack behind us saying, this is what you got to respond because you're going to, you know, be out of the game. So I, I, I like that aspect of it. And I appreciate that, you know, some Somebody from, you know, the wealth of your experience that you have, a lot of teaching that you've done, you've came to realize that that's what people need. They need to realign with themselves, know themselves to be able to, you know, put themselves in that place. Absolutely. It's a bit like um, entering 
like entering a battle. You're about to go into a war zone, right? And um, you're you're blindfolded, and um, you've no idea what weapons you have on you. You're just running into a battle. That's what most people do every single day at work. I don't want to make you know life sound like a battle or like it's co combative, but sometimes it can feel like that, right? It can feel like you're in an unsafe, precarious situation, and your life's in danger. It might not be, but it can feel like that. So why would you do that? No. You will check out, you won't wear a blindfold. You will check yourself out. You say, okay, am I covered here? How, how am I doing? Okay, cool. How's my body? How's my health? How's my vitals? How's my nutrition? What weapons do I have? Okay, let's check the landscape. How are we doing? We're, okay, cover that. You're going to be analyzing and taking everything in, right? Not just from the outside, but also here because you need to stay safe. It's the same with work. You can't go into a meeting and have an amazing presentation if you've only thought about everybody else's opinions and thoughts and reactions, you ha haven't thought about, okay, well, what have I got? What's my best foot forward? What's my opinion? What are my biases? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my blockers? What are my limiting beliefs? What are my blind spots? If you don't know all of that, you're going in completely blind. And I think that's more scary <laughs> than spending a couple of hours writing some stuff about your feelings like that's easy in comparison to going into work blind right it is and it's almost like when you get it to work you leave your ego at the door and then you move forward to your true self yeah what would be that's <laughs> what would be let's say we we recap the conversations we've had what would be the two takeaways or the two pieces of advice you could bring to the designers out there, well, from your experience, from your current work stream, from like the coaching, numerous coaching you've done and you still do, what are the two key takeaways that you would help designers level up in your craft? Mm, that's a tricky one, huh? I know. Well, one of them is going to definitely be a mindset thing. I think that when I start with my own coaches, I always start with the victim versus victim mindset conversation because... It makes the world very, very simple for a second. I'm either approaching a situation as a victim or as a victor. Yes, it's simplified. There are many other lenses, but it helps. Mm. In every single situation, I have the choice. I can choose to look at the objective facts and the objective conditions, and I can choose thoughts that make me small, weak, helpless, pathetic, a loser, disconnected, unwanted, and unlovable. Or I can choose my choice to choose thoughts, even if I'm not feeling them, I can choose thoughts that make me full of options, possibilities, likable, creative, whole, resourceful, intelligent, smart, right? And that choice happens when you're pitching for a promotion, when you're doing a presentation, when you're arguing about something with your PM about roadmap prioritization, when you are feeling outshined by a coworker who's better at something than you, when you are applying for jobs in a layoff season and you're constantly getting rejections. In all of these moments in our design career, we have that moment where we can choose those sorts. And I think, although that's a lot of responsibility and it feels like, oh, I can't blame anyone. That's no fun. <laughs> it it gives you power wow, and great. I would leave you to that great 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 point it, it's almost like self-reflection 
who am I and how do I respond to what's outside? Because oftentimes it's all of our, how we react to anything that happens to us. Because some have the same failure that we do, yet they strive and succeed. It's just the way they see it. Fantastic. Two final questions. We always ask these questions to anybody that comes on. How has design shaped your life? I grew up with a um, a playful tinkerer, engineer of maker of, of things. And I loved to put things together like pizza bases and things from the trash. And working out what I could do with what I have in my hand, whatever I have in my hand, has always been the joy to to start from there what do i have in my hand and what can i do with it and i think design challenges you to just increase the things that you have in your hand okay i can handle this now give me something bigger give me something juicier give me something more difficult give me something more challenging give me something really really wide give me something really really political give me something really green give me something really blockchainy and whatever it is you have in your hand I always tell myself, because of the design thinking process, everything is fixable. It doesn't matter what problem I'm going through. Everything is fixable. Maybe I just need to change the scope. It's too big. I need to break this down and solve a much smaller problem. Maybe it's because I'm pushing on things that I just can't control. And that's pointless. Wasted energy. Let's divert that energy on something that I can actually control. Maybe it's because I'm in complete denial about my limitations. Like whatever it is, everything is fixable just by changing the way you think. And design has taught me that through constantly looking at what I have in my hand and and trying to to problem solve it. And riffing off, you, you've answered part of it, but I'm still going to ask it. How are you as an individual, as a designer, shaping design, shaping the world through design? I don't know if I'm doing it, but I'd like to think that I'm helping design to tap into their intuition. We've had a decade of data-driven design. I want to rebalance that and say, yes, and let's also have intuition-led design where we mm -hmm. refine our voices, we refine our gut, and we learn to lead design products and places with both. Wow. I that resonates with me so high because that's exactly where I am in my, like my mind and my life and my career. It's exactly what I want to do. It's like realigning ourselves to our true selves and designing within that realm. So, wow, fantastic answer. I, can, I couldn't agree more. Uh, any Maybe last people words? Maybe we <laughs> Nothing happened. Everything happens for a reason in life. So I could not agree more on that. Any I'm getting goosebumps right now. My goosebumps have goosebumps. Same, same, same <laughs> level as this. So that's how, that's my, usually my radar is, is, my, is the goosebumps. Uh, any final words before we cap this off? Mm. I kind of get a sense this, we're going to have a repeat on a future talk. So go deeper, <laughs> but any last words for I this this time? The last one, maybe like something that we haven't spoken about, but is the undercurrent is yeah. kindness. Kindness is what fuels all of this approach. Mm -hmm. Everything we've been talking about comes back down to kindness. And we've talked about, you know, there's a lot of movements out there, calm tech. I'm interested in what kind tech would look like. 100%. And I'm going to go further in kindness and 
help your other designers level up. Let your ego out. Help them level up. If you're at the top, help other people out. You no, know, it's okay to help. And you, know, you don't have to sell everything. It's okay to help. Take time and help people out to, so that they can grow as well. Thank you that. so much for this episode. It was a juicy episode. It was fantastic. We talk about tech, human, everything. I really, really enjoyed this. And hopefully the rest of the crew are going to help enjoy this as well. Thank you so much. 